Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Do you find yourself constantly working on your physique only to find no real results? Or are you officially fed up with your lack of progress in weight loss and weight gain programs? Then do I have a solution for you. Mecca Nutrition, build a better you. Choose from a variety of products including protein, carbohydrates, creatine, pre-workouts, vitamins, and more. Why choose Mecca Nutrition? Mecca Nutrition is a family-owned and operated sports nutrition store located in the heart of Bakersfield, California. Mecca's goal is to provide you, the customer, with the best customer service, nationally recognized products that you know are tried and true, and most of all, they have the best prices around. If you have any questions or concerns, feel free to contact Mecca Nutrition via social media on Facebook and Instagram at Mecca Nutrition. You can email them or you can call the shop as well at 661-695-9061. Again, that's 661-695-9061. I've been using Mecca Nutrition products for over a year and a half now. And for someone with an extremely high metabolism, I can tell you that these products work. I gained nearly 25 pounds of muscle after using Mecca's select products in the protein and carb aisle with products such as Redcon 1 meal replacement protein and carbs, as well as Neil's hookups. So feel free to call the shop or email Mecca's general manager at Neil or Neil at MeccaNutritionStore.com. Rumor has it, if you mention Mecca Nutrition, you may come away with an added discount as well, but you didn't hear it from me. So go check it out if you want to transform your body and get into the best shape possible right now. Mecca Nutrition, build a better you. Today is Monday, December 2nd, 2019, and on today's edition of The O Show, we're going to do another movie review. Now, I know I said The Irishman was a movie of the year candidate, and then I followed it up by saying Ford v. Ferrari was a movie of the year candidate, but Stephen King's Doctor Sleep was also arguably the film of 2019. It's been a pretty good year for the film industry, I gotta say. This one is right up there. Doctor Sleep, starring Ewan McGregor. You may know him as Obi-Wan Kenobi for all you Star Wars geeks out there. Another great movie coming up uh, this month, by the way, The Rise of Skywalker. But we'll get there when we get there. But today is all about Doctor Sleep. Was it a sequel to The Shining? No. Then what kind of movie was it? Did Stephen King outdo Stanley Kubrick? Did Jack Nicholson make an appearance? Was it scary? Let's talk about it before it becomes stale. Dr. Sleep Review on episode 122 of The O Show presented by Belly Up Sports. We are what they aren't. There's a new slogan for you. The O Show is also sponsored by the number one ticket marketplace with no hidden fees. That's right. You guessed it. TickPick.com. Use the promo code OSHOW10. That's capital O-S-H-O-W-10 for $10 off your next order using TickPick.com. The O-Show is also brought to you by Mecca Nutrition. Black Friday was this past Friday, but the momentum keeps on rolling for Mecca Nutrition. They're giving away Black Friday-like deals, man. 50% off all orders at MeccaNutritionStore.com. And if you use the promo code OSHOW20, that's capital O-S-H-O-W-20, you'll get an additional $20 off that order again. Half-off prices at MeccaNutritionStore.com right now. Get your fix of protein right now. Mecca Nutrition, build a better you. Let's go.
So Ewan McGregor stars as Danny Torrance. He's all grown up in Mike Flanagan's big screen follow-up to The Shining back in 1980. This movie doesn't have Jack Nicholson, though it does have Jack Torrance, doesn't have Jack Nicholson, doesn't have Stanley Kubrick, uh, doesn't even have much of the Overlook Hotel, but again, at the end it does, no spoilers here. But Rebecca Ferguson, Ewan McGregor, among other great actors, provided some shine of their own, you could say, no pun intended, in Doctor Sleep, it was a drawn out and uh, yeah, drawn out follow up to The Shining that still had enough going on to uh, or basically forestall any of the audience's slumber. Again, it's been what thirty nine years, thirty nine years since The Shining, and the vast army of Stephen King fans alone ensured a good commercial launch for this. Again, well-appointed Warner Bros. release, which in terms of scares and jolts is pretty mild by uh, contemporary uh, horror film standards. Uh, And it's been, again, like I said, 39 years since Stanley Kubrick's uh, fascinating and popular but critically decisive adaption of Stephen King's third novel. Again, Stephen King's idea brought to life by Stanley Kubrick. In the, in the movie theater, and then Stephen King was like, wait, I didn't like certain points, I'm going to make my own 40 years down the road. So the author himself was the most, again, the most vocal uh, critic, you could say. And in the interim, there has been a poorly received 1997 four-hour miniseries adaption that aired on ABC. It was awful. And as well as a warmly embraced 2016 version, uh, Stephen King himself again took up the story of Danny Torrance, who's the son of Jack and Wendy Torrance, a little boy blessed or cursed, if you will, with an unusual psychic power. And in his uh, 2013 novel, Dr. Sleep, an immediate number one bestseller, it indicated a continuing public interest in this fallen fellow whose life has never been that really easy. It wouldn't be easy for any of us having, again, that kind of curse. It's more of a curse than it is a superpower in me. And a hard luck case since his youth, Danny, again, a low-key Ewan McGregor at the start of this movie, now going by Dan as he's like 35 or 40, can't really tell how old he is. He uh, evidently had a pretty rough time of it over the years, became an alcoholic, he was a drifter, pushing 50, um, a recovering alcoholic, I guess you could say. He's still plagued by the memories of those weird little girls up at the Overlook and presently takes a job working as an orderly at a, at a small-town New Hampshire hospice. Dan is good at his job. He knows how to speak to other people's uh, death store, but isn't nearly as skilled as the house cat, which has an uncanny ability. It's really weird of tipping off who will die next by simply entering the appropriate room and jumping on the doomed one's bed, which is scary if, if, if you're dying in that hotel room. Uh, a proactive woman with the curious name of Rose, that's her name, Rose the Hat, uh, is herself an expert at moving people from the earthly realm to another, which sounds kind of soothing, but it really isn't. Rose is the, the protagonist, I guess you could say, uh, the bad chick in this movie, played with uh, mesmerizing Elon by, uh, again, Ferguson, played in this role, in a turn that, partly because of her uh, black headgear, calls to mind uh, Lena Olin's striking profile as Sabina in The Unbearable Lightness of Being. But Rose is forever on the outlook for psychic kids 
to kidnap because uh, they have scheme. I guess that's the way they portray it in the movie. Uh, the blood of the victims furthers the quest for immortality among her ratty trailer trash brood who whose eyes light up at feeding time. You got to see the movie. It's actually quite interesting. So good and evil are once again poised to duke it out 40 years later with a few agreeable wrinkles worked in uh, among the stale ones. The most gruelingly effective scenes involving Rose a never-ending search for new prey, which arouses some genuine emotion on behalf of the gifted kids about to be sacrificed for the sake of some grungy vampires. No, there's no lower-class revenge subtext steered into this mix, but as staged by Mike Flanagan, the director of this film, whose feature career consists mostly of horror titles, including Before I Wake, Gerald's Game, uh, these hunts generate distress given the children's dreadful fates as nothing more than ghoul food. And the growing number of missing kids becomes an obsession for Abra, uh, a girl on the cusp of between tween and teen, and who herself is blessed or cursed, take it as you will, with the shining and is uh, too notably gifted not to eventually land in Rose's sights because she basically possesses more power than anybody else in the world, or at least that's the way they portray it. But she's a, a beginner at all of this stuff, so she has a lot of power, but she doesn't know how to use it at all, and thus potentially vulnerable to Rose's far more practiced hand at stirring things up that normal people can't really handle. And the showdown between the rising young star and the devilish old pro is clearly where this tale is headed, which is both entirely predictable and undeniably satisfying. Still, the fact that Flanagan applies a light hand to trimming down Stephen King's 530-page book. Again, it's 530 pages. It, it results in a film that remains for too long on the low burner, you could say. And it would be hard to argue that this is really needed to run for two and a half hours. There's plenty of downtime, some of it agreeable, as Dan gradually emerges uh, via AA meetings. Again, a recovering alcoholic, a life of alcoholism. Uh, to a position where he has something to contribute. And again, to Abra, this little girl, she needs his help. A development that also allows McGregor's performance to slowly take root and ultimately emerge as something sympathetic and genuine. There are other scenes, however, that seem pretty pointless, including one in a cinema where notably inferior print of Casablanca is being shown and Flanagan simply takes... Too much time getting around to the meaty matters at hand, you could say. But just when things threaten to slow to a, to a stall, you can count on Ferguson to roar to the occasion to shake you. When, uh, when she's around, she's the whole show. Threatening, uh, erotically boiling when prey is at hand, destructive. The actress, uh, along uh, with the character, looks to be having just a jolly good old time. Does not care about the, the suffering of all these kids that she's stealing. Playing outrageous villains, uh, and it seems to have that effect on... And she gives every moment she's on screen here uh, a real kick. And here's the part where we add in a little bit of spoilers. So if you haven't seen the movie, stop listening or continue to listen because I need the listens. Uh, one of the true Knott's victims, again, talking about Ferguson here, Rose the Hat, 
early on in this movie is a boy named Bradley Trevor. He's a baseball prodigy with a powerful shine ability. Uh, basically can tell what the pitcher's going to throw. It's like the Houston Astros, but he has it in his mind. So he doesn't need any electronics to cheat. He already has it in his mind. And he hits 500-foot nukes because he knows what the, the pitch is going to be. Whether it's going to be a fastball, curveball, slider, doesn't matter. It's a, it's a crucial death, though, in the movie in terms of the plot. It brought out uh, the Colt to the attention of Danny Torrance. But, uh, again, Mike Flanagan did have an enormous worry, I guess you could say, over how far to push the death scene, especially since uh, after seeing Jacob Tremblay's performance as Bradley. Uh, this is what, this is what uh, Flanagan said, and I quote, Casting Jacob, we initially thought, oh, this is going to be even better because people love him so much. Just the fact that it's him is going to make this horrific. I don't think anyone was prepared for the magnitude of his performance. And that's what he told DigitalSpy.com. And uh, there's a huge amount that you guys will never see because it's too much to handle. But he did take this take, his close-up. Rebecca couldn't even get her lines out because she was so horrified. You could see Rose the Hat just stammering. And uh, producer Trevor Macy also added, we were sitting at the monitor wondering what we were doing because the scene was so gory. But if you worried that the 13-year-old Tremblay would be traumatized by the experience, fear not. This is what he said. We called out, and Jacob pops up covered with blood. He high-fives his father, who's just smirking in the corner, and walks over to the craft service and gets a snack, while the rest of us are shell-shocked and traumatized. That's what Flanagan added. What a G. And uh, the writer and director, again, Flanagan, also spoke to Digital Spy about the movie's epic uh, runtime, again, two and a half hours, and just how many shots from The Shining that we could have expected from this movie. But again, I digress. Like I said, Abra, Abra Stone, is the main child they're seeking in this movie, and the ending uh, proves to be just that, as Abra ends up uh, conquering Rose the Hat and her legion of goons, but we'll get to that. That'll be the next portion of this show. Let's talk about the ending and the ending explained of Dr. Sleep. But first, a quick word from our handy-dandy sponsor over at Mecha Nutrition. Do you find yourself constantly working on your physique only to find no real results? Or are you officially fed up with your lack of progress in weight loss and weight gain programs? Then do I have a solution for you? Mecha Nutrition, build a better you. Choose from a variety of products including protein, carbohydrates, creatine, pre-workouts, vitamins, and more. Why choose Mecha Nutrition? Mecha Nutrition is a family-owned and operated sports nutrition store located in the heart of Bakersfield, California. Mecca's goal is to provide you, the customer, with the best customer service, nationally recognized products that you know are tried and true, and most of all, they have the best prices around. If you have any questions or concerns, feel free to contact Mecca Nutrition via social media on Facebook and Instagram at Mecca Nutrition. You can email them or you can call the shop as well at 661-695-9061. Again, that's 661-695-9061. I've been using Mecca Nutrition products for over a year and a half now, and for someone with an extremely high metabolism, I can tell you that these products work. I gained nearly 25 pounds of muscle after using Mecca's select products in the protein and carb aisle with products such as Redcon 1 meal replacement protein and carbs, as well as Neil's hookups. So feel free to call the shop or email Mecca's 
general manager at Neil or Neil at MeccaNutritionStore.com. Rumor has it, if you mention Mecca Nutrition, you may come away with an added discount as well, but you didn't hear it from me. So go check it out if you want to transform your body and get into the best shape possible right now. Mecca Nutrition, build a better you. All right, let's discuss uh, the ending here. The coup de grace, if you will, to uh, Dr. Sleep. So for decades, the shining you could say stood alone as a terrifying story of a haunted place and the haunted people. And Stephen King's 1977 novel still ranks as one of his most popular and celebrated works. Its legacy is enhanced by Stanley Kubrick's 1980 adaption in the film industry. And his iconic film twists many of Stephen King's core themes, which I guess pissed off Stephen King, but also managed to develop its own status as a horror classic. And with this powerful horror legacy in mind, a classic novel made into a classic film, uh, Stephen King published a sequel to The Shining, just out due Kubrick, titled Dr. Sleep in 2013. Now, director Mike Flanagan, already skilled at horror adaption thanks to Gerald's game in Haunting of a Hill House, has taken Stephen King's novel and brought it to the big screen in a way that uh, both honors the author's original version of The Shining and manages to reconcile it with Stanley Kubrick's own distinct vision of the Overlook Hotel. The result is a film that's somehow a sequel to two uh, divergent stories at once with its own complex mythology and multi-layered ending. So we're here to break it all down. This is the ending to Dr. Sleep Explained. And we're going to start with Abra's Darkness. Again, much of the lore established in Dr. Sleep is focused on building up the raw power, as Rose the Hat puts it, uh, inherit uh, in Abra Stone. And at one point, while discussing Abra's power, uh, Rose the Hat goes so far to say that trying to dampen Abra's gift with medication would, uh, to quote-unquote put Sarah Rapp over a searchlight. Which, I guess, if you're a Saren Rap fan, you'd understand. I have no idea what that means. Abra spends much of the film getting to know the extent of her own strength. Again, starting out as a kid, she really didn't know how to deal with much of the power. And it's clear that, on some level, she's quite pleased with the things that she can do. And once she understands who the true knot are and what Rose wants and what Rose is capable of... Abra goes so far as to stage an elaborate trap in her bedroom, which terrifies the hell out of Rose. It would have terrified the hell out of me and left her severely wounded, uh, despite only appearing in Abra's house in uh, ghost form, you could say. To add to the horror of the scene, though, it's clear that Abra enjoyed hurting Rose as she even brags about it to her Uncle Dan, that's Dan Ewan McGregor uh, later in the film. And during their final encounter at the Overlook Hotel, again, spoilers, they do go to the Overlook Hotel at the very end. You could actually see in the preview, so it's not much of a spoiler. Rose tells Abra that she reminds her of, a young, of her younger self because there's a darkness in Abra that hasn't reached its full potential yet, in, in Rose the Hat's words. It's something Rose says in a, an attempt to distract Abra, trying to kill her, again, trying to get that steam so that she can fixate herself into immortality, but it's nevertheless also apparently true. And will the darkness start to take uh, her over as she ages, or will she be able to handle it? This is Abra we're talking about. As we see from the look on her face in the final shot, though, the film makes a an open question, you could say. And to, to go to the next point, Abra and the Overlook Ghosts, one of the earliest scenes in Doctor Sleep 
establishes that even after he and his mother escaped the Overlook, Danny Torrance was haunted by the ghosts who attacked him there. Uh, they followed him from the hotel to his home. They moved to Florida, as you can see in the first few scenes of uh, of uh, uh, Dr. Sleep, and also continued to attempt to feed on him until Dick Halloran taught young Danny a trick that would allow him to lock the ghost away in a box. Again, Dick Halloran, the, the cook in the hotel that ends up dying because of the ghost, becomes Danny's angel, you could say. So he still talks to him because he also had The Shining. And Dan has kept the overlooked ghost locked away in his own mind, you could say, for years in these boxes, but must finally unleash them on Rose the Hat in order to save himself and Abra. So the film's final scene makes it clear that while the Overlook Hotel is finally gone, it's burnt to the ground, the ghosts are not. Uh, the woman from room 237 has returned to haunt Abra Stone's bathroom, trying to feed on her shine like she uh, can't feed on Dan's anymore. And Abra clearly knows how to deal with the woman thanks to Dan's mentorship. Uh, but what about the rest of the Overlook ghosts? There was a lot of them. Will they find Abra, the two little girls? Will they dare to come after her? Will they chase other other shining children down? Abra seems to have the biggest shine around, like arguably the biggest in the world. That's the way they, they portray it in the movie. But if she has to deal with them all, what kind of toll will it take? Which leads me to the next point of this ending. Others who shine. Uh, when Dan and Abra met in person for the first time, they discussed the shining in detail. And Dan explained that a lot of people have a little bit of a shine. That's what he called it, the shining. But he's also uh, met a handful in his life who knew that they had a gift and understood how to use it. Abra is one of those people, of course, and so is DeCalloran, uh, Brad Trevor, the, the baseball boy. Abra has a vision of just before he dies. Uh, she, she knows, she felt when he was getting stabbed to death in, in that uh, trailer park. And before he dies, uh, it's another, uh, another uncanny gift that he is only just beginning to understand when he's murdered by the true knot. Like he, he, Trevor did not know he had a shining. He just thought, wow, there's something different about me, but I just don't know what it is. And the film makes it very clear that Abra's powerful shine is the reason the true knot is defeated. Because she was able to figure out who and what they were in a way that no one else necessarily could. Now that she's defeated the knot, now that she's defeated the knot with Dan's help, it stands to reason that she won't simply stop using her power for good. Though there's darkness in her, there's also tremendous light. And it's easy to imagine her using her uh, mighty gift, if you will, to track down others who shine. Particularly children who are, again, haunted by this and make sure that they're safe from the places and things that want to eat what the shine wants. And, of course, if there's other knots out there, maybe Rebecca the Hat and, uh, well, Rebecca Ferguson, the, the actress, Rose the Hat. I got those mixed up. Easy mix-up on me. That's on me. Uh, other knots that might be out there, other ghosts that might be wanting to get that steam, if you will. And as Dr. Sleep begins, the true knot is introduced as a close-knit, relatively small group uh, psychic vampires who roam the country under the radar and find themselves slowly running out of substantial steam, which again is their word for the essence of people who shine. And by the end, only Rose the Hat is left, the most powerful one, the leader of the cult. And in a confrontation at the Overlook, Dan taunts her by proclaiming to her that uh, she'll be the last one standing. And Rose responds that she's not the last one, she's quote-unquote just the prettiest. 
and it may have been an empty boast designed to scare Dan, but what if Rose is right about people like her? And again, only Stephen uh, Stephen King knows the answer to this question. Are there still other knots out there in the world roaming the landscape in search of steam? Are there more places like the Overlook that will eat what shines? Are there would-be knots that are only just beginning to learn how to consume steam coming together in new ways? More importantly, will people like that be able to stay alive in the world where steam is harder to come by? Abra Stone will probably find that out one day if Stephen King ever decides to make a sequel or, again, a third movie if you consider uh, this a, a sequel to The Shining or just a sequel to Dr. Sleep. And the final point here, the site of the Overlook. Again, in Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, we learn very early on that uh, Overlook Hotel was built atop of a Native American burial ground, setting the stage for a legacy of violence that carried on throughout the hotel's history and illustrated the movie's themes, just about how, uh, uh, how effed up these people are. And, of course, that uh, violence seems to culminate in Jack Torrance's rampage. Again, in The Shining, Jack Nicholson's character, Jack Torrance's rampage. And in Stephen King's original novel, The Overlook Hotel burns down at the end of The Shining. But the film leaves it standing, seemingly waiting for the next caretakers. So the movie version of Dr. Sleep reveals that after the Torrance family incident, the hotel was boarded up and left to rot. Kind of like in Haunting of a Hill House, they leave the house up to rot only to return later. And as Dan puts it, uh, the ghosts don't cease to exist. That legacy of violence and terror is alive and well and comes to the forefront when Dan and Abra go back to the Overlook Hotel to, quote-unquote, wake it up. And the hotel burns to the ground at the end of Doctor's Sleep, but the ghosts don't die with it. At at least some of them are still present, trying to follow Abra Stone instead of Dan again, the girl in, in, in the shower she puts in the, in the box like Dan did at the beginning of the movie. With that in mind, though, what happens to the site of the Overlook itself? What will the owners of the land do with it now that it rotted to the ground? The old one is gone. Will it be turned into a mobile home lodge? as it is in King's novel. you got to think about that. Will it be preserved as a heritage site in an effort to calm down the negative energy there? Will the peace be maintained? they got to break the cycle here. While the film doesn't explore the future of the Overlook site too deeply beyond Abra's explanation that it burnt to the ground, the answer to what might happen in the place where the hotel once stood might be found in a way Dan Torrance dies. Again, Dan... Uh, dies in the hotel, becomes the angel of Abra, and he understands that the old hotel needed to die, and in a nod to Stephen King's original ending for The Shining, he does it by cranking the hotel's faulty old bo uh, boiler room until it explodes. And both King's novel and Kubrick's film explore the, the, the cycle nature of violence, though Stanley Kubrick's uh, is arguably more tied to places and systems that it is... Uh, to the individual people involved. I, either way, Dr. Sleep is about redemption, about breaking the cycle and paying the debt that Dick Halloran remains, uh, it reminds Dan that he still owes. Uh, Dick Halloran, of course, being the angel for Dan in this movie, Dan ends up being the angel for Abra, and by sacrificing himself in the Overlook and destroying the structure for good, Dan is hoping that he could break the cycle of pain, as just as he's hoping that Abra will remember how far he went for her and pay that forward to the next person who needs her help. This act does not remove the ghost from the world. Like I said, it does not wipe away evil, but it does serve to outshine it, and that's something Abra can now carry with her in a world without the Overlook Hotel.
and of course Dan and Jack. That was probably the best scene in this movie. Jack Torrance making his return, not Jack Nicholson, but Dan Torrance is well aware of the imprint his father made on him. So he was really traumatized by what happened at the Overlook Hotel as a kid that he didn't talk for some time afterward to his mother. And until Dick Halloran taught him how to deal with the bad ghosts, he ultimately took up his father's alcoholic habits later in life. Uh, in one of Dr. Sleep's most moving scenes, you could say, he dedicates one of the, his sobriety anniversaries to his father, who, who once tried to get better and failed, obviously, as you saw in The Shining in 1980. This conversation between Dan and his father's memory comes to a head in one of the most, again, stirring scenes in the film when he meets the ghost of his father, now Lloyd the bartender. Remember, in The Shining, uh, it was in the gold room where Jack Torrance was speaking to the uh, first owner of the hotel who murdered his daughters, the two ghost daughters, who became Lloyd in this. He was like the bartender. So now Jack Torrance playing the role of Lloyd the bartender in the gold room at the ruined Overlook. They have a direct confrontation over a glass of whiskey that Dan refused to drink while his dad's ghost fumes over the life he claims his family stole from him. Dan must uh, turn to the other matters before he can confront his father further, but his defiance is a clear rejection of Jack Torrance's own destructive path. And with the overlook gone, is Jack Torrance able to find peace? Uh, Is he able to find a version of it in Dr. Sleep the novel, but Dr. Sleep the film? leaves that question open. Was he beyond saving, or did Dan flee his father in a burning hotel? And how long can Dan stay? Though much of its story is taken directly from King's novel, Dr. Sleep also functions as a sequel to Stanley Kubrick's film adaption of The Shining in a very direct way. And Kubrick's film killed off Danny's Shining mentor, Dick Halloran, so in Dr. Sleep, the movie, uh, Dick appears only as a ghost, popping up in Danny's life every so often to give him counsel and to check in on him, give him good advice. Uh, midway through the film, as Dan tried to shrug off Abra Stone's uh, pleas for help with, again, the baseball boy, Dick shows up in an empty room at the hospice to confront him and lets him know that it'll be the last time he can visit him. And for Dick, the real world is, quote-unquote, a dream where he has no real... Uh, conception of time and apparently the number of visits he can pay is to infinity and the end of the film we see that dan has taken on the same role you could say in abra's life that dick's ghost took in his like i mentioned before he pops up to talk to her uh, gets updates on her life and generally helps her uh, out shortly after the overlook hotel burns out and as dick explains to dan though His time returning to the Earth is apparently uh, finite, so how long does he have? uh, He was younger than Dick when he died, and his shine was stronger, so perhaps that helps? I don't know. Hopefully, he'll be around at least through the rest of Abra's childhood, again, just speaking as a fan of the movie, uh, in case she needs uh, more guidance. And the last thing I want to touch upon is some of the other victims of the True Knot, because though Rose the Hat sees a certain darkness in her, Dr. Sleep makes it clear that there's uh, inherent goodness in Abra Stone. And one of the ways it does that is through her treatment of uh, Bradley Trevor, the baseball boy, like I mentioned, whose murder she witnessed through her eyes. And Abra is determined to track down his body to the point that she's willing to subject herself to reliving Brad's trauma at the hands of the True Knot to do it. And she begs Dan Torrance for help. At, at one point, Abra is so concerned with Brad that she even pleads with Dan to find him 
just so that the boy can have a proper burial, regardless of what the true knot might do in response. And this suggests a compassionate side of Abra Stone that mirrors Dan Torrance's own gift as Dr. Sleep in the hospice. As he guides dying people over into the next life, uh, so too might she guide the spirits of those killed by the true knot to their final resting place. We don't know the full extent of her future as a shining person, but it's easy to see her using her gift to track down the hidden victims of the true knot and bring them a little bit closer to the light. And that's basically an overview of this movie, Dr. Sleep. The last thing, though, I wanted to touch on was how Dr. Sleep was able to pull off one of the, uh, the most shocking cameos in the film, and that was Jack Torrance's role. But, however, it was not Jack Nicholson. That's what I wanted to get into. But first, another quick word. This one from our handy-dandy sponsor over at TickPick. Have you ever felt cheated out of a deal when buying tickets from StubHub only to see that there's a $15 fee at the end of your original purchase? Or have you ever been on Vivid Seats and not even get your tickets? That, that actually happened to me once. I ordered a ticket from Vivid Seats and I never got the ticket. And that's why I switched over to TickBick.com where smart fans buy tickets online. No hidden fees. Search and buy now 100% authentic tickets Best price guarantee, 24-7 customer service. Buy, bid on, and sell tickets with the confidence of their 110% guarantee. That's 110% guarantee. They show you the best deals with their algorithms and let you decide 0% buyer fees. Your ticket is $26. Your, pr your purchase is $26. No joke. The most transparent consumer-friendly ticket marketplace on the web, authentic valid tickets backed by our 100% money-back guarantee. You'll love your ticketing experience from purchase through the final whistle or out and no hidden fees. Like I said, if it's $26, hell, if it's $8, it is an $8 purchase. Save an average of 10 to 15% on every purchase guaranteed only at TickPick.com. Get your tickets now. So a sequel to The Shining just wouldn't be the same without Jack Nicholson's Jack Torrance. So, naturally, Dr. Sleep brings him back, kind of. So in a scene that director Mike Flanagan told the Huffington Post, he knew, in a scene that he knew would be the most controversial moment in the movie, Danny Torrance, again a young Ewan McGregor, trying to recover from his past, comes face to face with his dearly departed father, Jack Torrance, uh, the pair didn't part on great terms the last time they met, and with the elder Torrance trying to chop the younger one up with an axe and all, uh, <laughs> but the idea of them meeting again and having uh, been the whole reason why the movie was made, basically, uh, reconciling Dan's impression of his father was really important to the character. This is what Flanagan told the Huff Post. I thought if we were uh, going back to the Overlook Hotel, the possibility of Dan Torrance and Jack Torrance having a conversation over a drink was irresistible. And that was one of the things that I said to Stephen King, actually, that made him agree to let us proceed uh, with it all. But how would it happen is the question in the movie. And he says because of the ages of the characters that we would uh, be bringing back, you either have to have a digital component to this, like CGI, or, or you don't. And that's what Flanagan said. And if you have a digital or DH Jack Nicholson or a digital avatar, you have to do it for Jack what you would do for Wendy and even for little Danny. Early on, though, digital avatars were out. 
at, at what point am I just making a video game? That's what uh, Mike Flanagan said about the thought of seeing a digital version of the characters on screen. Also, Scatman uh, Crothers, who played Dick Halloran in The Shining, died in the 80s. So for Flanagan, the thought of uh, appropriating his voice and image seemed deeply inappropriate. So instead of having digital or de-aged versions uh, of all the returning roles, including Wendy, who is Shelley Duvall, Danny, Danny Lloyd, Dick Halloran, Crothers, and Jack Nicholson, of course, uh, uh, weren't recasted. So, however, Nicholson's character proved to be an additional challenge. And this is what Flanagan said. What you don't want to do with Jack is cast someone who's going to do a Jack impression because that would be fatal. It would become a parody. No one we would cast was going to be able to play Nicholson. No one. The answer came from The Shining director Stanley Kubrick himself. He said, in The Shining, when Jack Torrance confronts the hotel previous caretaker and now ghost uh, Delbert Grady about killing his family... Grady has no recollection of the murder and just says he works there. With this in mind, as well as the idea to have Danny perhaps share a drink with his father, Flanagan decided uh, he needed an actor who would look like Nicholson, but would just play the hotel bartender. Uh, And I quote, Jack is just denying being Jack, and that saves us from ever having to tiptoe toward an impression of Nicholson or toward a parody. That way, much like Delbert Grady denies who he is and just uh, a part of the staff as a polite waiter 95% of the time, and then just for the end for 5%, he plays himself, the mask slips a little bit as you uh, see the real man. But Flanagan went to actor Henry Thomas. Again, Henry Thomas played a big role as the father in Haunting of a Hill House. Uh, He was a frequent collaborator of his to bring back Nicholson's character. Uh, He asked Thomas to play the majority of the part like Lloyd, the bartender from The Shining, and just let a bit of Jack out at the end. And for Flanagan, it worked out because ultimately the scene isn't about Jack. This scene is about Dan. This is a scene about Dan staring his own addiction in the face and coming to terms with a father he barely remembered. That had that, 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 that had been the heart of it. And this seemed to be the only way through. Uh, that, that's what Mike Flanagan said. I knew people would have strong opinions about it. I expect they will, he added. But this seemed to be the most respectful way to move forward, and that seems uh, the, the reason I wanted to make this film. So that that's the story about Jack Nicholson not being in this movie. I don't know if he was ever offered the role, but Henry Thomas doing a tremendous job at the end. Again, that final 5% at the end playing a Jack Nicholson-like character. It almost seemed like Jack Torrance the character, but uh, I guess we'll never really know if Jack Nicholson ever had anything to do with Stephen King's version of Dr. Sleep, a book brought to life here in 2019. Again, film of the uh, potential film of the year. It's up there with Ford v. Ferrari, The Irishman. You know, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is going to be up there in the rankings for Oscars as well. Joker, can't forget about Joker. Uh, uh, Uncut Gems with Adam Sandler coming out uh, in a few weeks, so that should be interesting. But that'll wrap up episode 122 of The O Show, presented by Belly Up Sports. Remember, we are what they aren't. New slogan for you. We're also sponsored by the number one ticket marketplace with no hidden fees, TickPick.com. Use the promo code OSHO10 for $10 off your next order. That's capital O-S-H-O-W-10 for $10 off. And go to Mecca Nutrition, people, because Black Friday was this past Friday, but the momentum keeps on rolling. They're giving away Black Friday-like deals, 50% off all orders at MeccaNutritionStore.com, or you could go to their store, Mecca Nutrition, in Bakersfield, California, and have used the promo code OSHO20, that's capital O-S-H-O-W-20, you'll get an additional $20 off that order. Get your fix of protein right now, Mecca Nutrition. 
Build a better you. Dr. Sleep Review. Hit it, Hootie. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.